Today on Beyond Podcasting, is the Roadcaster Pro an auto mixer? Opinions from Curtis Judd and Alan Tepper. And awards from the 48 Kilohertz Alliance. Thanks for tuning in to beyondpodcasting.com, where we recognize that your online radio show is much more than just a podcast. Your show can be broadcast live, which is not a podcast. Your show can be heard on a website, which isn't a podcast either. Of course, your online radio show can and should also be syndicated as a podcast via RSS, where your listeners can subscribe using a standard podcatcher or your show's own branded app for Android and iOS. Beyondpodcasting.com covers microphones, interfaces, mixers, production software, recording techniques, best practices, and more. Now enjoy another episode of beyondpodcasting.com with your host, Alan Tepper. That's correct. I'm Alan Tepper. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond Podcasting. Today on episode 14, we'll give away some awards from the 48 Kilohertz Alliance, and then we'll talk with Curtis Judd of Learn Light and Sound about our opinions regarding the Roadcaster Pro and whether it's truly an automatic mixer, even though it's not marketed that way. We'll also compare it with other auto mixers we covered back in episode 10. Our first award today goes to Chris Curran of Podcast Engineering School, since his show is not only a reference standard for technical quality, it's also produced and distributed in pure 48 kilohertz, as do my shows too. Here's where Chris Curran's first words when he found out about the award. Oh man, I am shocked, amazed, humbled. Anyway, it's always great to talk with you, Alan. Welcome to the Alliance. Our next award is for the Roadcaster Pro, since it works exclusively with our standard 48 kilohertz sampling rate, in addition to all of its other benefits I've covered in prior articles and episodes. And what we are about to cover ahead in this episode of Beyond Podcasting with Curtis Judd of Learn Light and Sound. Welcome to the Alliance. The third award we're giving out today from the 48 Kilohertz Alliance is for Hindenburg Journalist Pro, my favorite multi-track editing software for audio storytellers on conventional computers like Mac and Windows. I love it for all the reasons I have mentioned in prior episodes and articles. Here's Nick Dunkerley's response after he found out about the award. This is Nick Dunkerley, the creative director of Hindenburg Systems, and on behalf of all of us at Hindenburg, I would like to give a warm thanks to the 48kHz Alliance. 48kHz has always been important for us to support, as we understand what a crucial cornerstone this is for the professional audio industry. Film and television have often favoured this format, but also broadcast radio has taken to it. And as we at Hindenburg have our roots in broadcast radio, then it has been a must for us to support. We are therefore delighted to accept the Virtual Gold Award for Best Supporting 48kHz Audio Editor. Welcome to the Alliance. Beyondpodcasting.com This episode of Beyond Podcasting is brought to us in part by Google Fi, my favorite mobile telephony and data service since 2015. Did you know that Google Fi works both in the United States and over 200 other countries, and the data outside the U.S. costs the same as here? Even though I use it with my Pixel XL, which is specially optimized for the service, Google Fi now officially works with the iPhone too. 
In fact, I use one of the free data SIM cards from Google Fi in my iPhone SE, which I use as a portable two-track audio recorder using the Rode SC6L 48kHz interface, which I've covered in several articles. With Google Fi, there's no extra monthly fee for additional data-only SIM cards for tablets, laptops with a SIM card slot, or even an extra smartphone. Save US $20 for a limited time by visiting fi.beyondpodcasting.com. Fi is spelled F-I as in Fantastic International. And you can save US $20 by visiting fi.beyondpodcasting.com. And by Descript. The transcription, text, audio, captions, and subtitle editor, which automatically transcribes your audio into text, allows you to correct that auto-transcription, edit the text, and have the audio reflect the corresponding changes instantly. Descript is now available for both Mac, Windows, and even a web version for Chromebooks. As a special bonus for Beyond Podcasting listeners, for a limited time, you can get your first 100 minutes of auto-transcription free by visiting descript.beyondpodcasting.com. That's a special link, and Descript is spelled D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T. Get your first 100 minutes free by visiting descript.beyondpodcasting.com. Now, back to the show. Beyondpodcasting.com We welcome back Curtis Judd from Learn Light and Sound. And we're going to have an interesting conversation today about using the Rodecaster Pro as an automatic mixer. Welcome back, Curtis. Thank you, Alan. Great to be back. Our listeners may recall that back in September of 2018, Curtis Judd was with me on Beyond Podcasting, and we were comparing four automatic audio mixers under $1,000, or approximately $1,000, to cure bleed, spill, or crosstalk, which are different ways of describing a phenomenon which we almost always get when we have multiple microphones in the same place. Maybe you have a better way of describing that, Curtis? Um, I, no, I think that's a good way to put it. I think it's, it's not only that, but it's also, well, yeah, no, that, that's really the crux of the issue. It, it can be from another person talking, but it can also be the reflections off the walls or perhaps ambient noise as well that, that kind of sneaks its way into other mic- microphones. That yes, that's open. the problem that we like to be able to solve in real time with an automatic mixer. We don't have that problem today because I'm in Coral Gables, Miami, Florida, and you are in... I'm in Park City, Utah. Okay, so it's very unlikely that my natural voice would hit your microphone, especially if you're using isolating headphones, which I'm sure you must be. Indeed. (laughs) And as am I, I'm using my favorite CB1 from Status Audio, which I like them because they're unbranded yet brandable, uh, which I've covered in an article. Which, Which ones are you using today? Today I'm using the Bayer Dynamic DT770 Pro. And it, it's one of my, it's, it's a good one. I think it's good for recording. It's, one of, it's probably my go-to choice when I am recording. Understood. And by the way, with that particular headset, does the cable, is the cable removable from the factory? It's pluggable and unpluggable or it's permanent? No, it's permanent. This one is, uh, that's the downside yes, of this that's one. That's one of the benefits of the CB1 from Status Audio, the fact that it can be removed and, and that actually makes it compatible with certain accessories. There are certain accessories that only work if you have it removable. So that's why all of a sudden I've become curious to know which headsets have the cable removable and with a standard TRS in this case. So we are both using as a preamp and an A to D converter today, the Rodecaster Pro. 
I am using it here in Coral Gables, Florida, and I understand that Curtis is using it in Utah. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. So we are using it as our preamp and A to D converter to connect to our computer, and we are connected as we often do on Beyond Podcasting using CleanFeed. And what microphone are you using today? Today I'm using the ElectroVoice RE20. Okay, the classic dynamic microphone used by Chris Curran from Podcast Engineering School and also used by Howard Stern, at least used to be in the past. I don't know if he still does. <laughs> is yours one of the modern ones or is yours one of the refurbished classic ones? No, this is the modern version here. I understand. Chris Curran has the classic one that's been refurbished, I understand. So the reason that I invited Curtis today was to relook into our goal of finding a thousand dollars or less automatic mixer and even though the roadcaster pro isn't marketed that way i found it to be more capable than the other ones that i had used in the past and i would like to share thoughts with curtis this morning about this I agree. I'm excited to talk about this because our, I think in our last conversation, I, I at least came away feeling like the Zoom F8, which is one of the devices I talked about primarily, its auto mix feature is a nice step forward, but it doesn't really seem to solve the problem from my perspective. Yes. And I think the two Audio-Technica, well, I talked about the ATDM0604 and the ATMX351A, which I had, the second of the two I had reviewed in the past. I think that the, maybe the ATMX351A was a little bit better than the Zoom F8N, but still not as good as I would like it to be. And that's why I'm excited to talk about the Rodecaster Pro as an automatic mixer also. So what have you been your experience since you received it? Have you done some testing the way I did? Well, I have done some testing. I've, I just received it uh, early or late, late last week. And over the weekend, I've put it to work a little bit. The Roadcaster comes with a variety of different effects, one of which is the noise gate. And I was concerned about the way that the Roadcaster was set up because when you go into the menu to set things up, you go into setup and then advanced and you have all the different effects that you can use, including a compressor, high-pass filter, de-esser, noise gate, so on and so forth. And basically, they're just on or off. You don't have any sort of parameters that you can tweak to kind of fine-tune. And noise gates can be a little bit sensitive that way. If you don't get a noise gate set correctly, what can happen is you get a bit of a fluttering effect where a person will kind of cut in and cut out. And so I was a little bit concerned. However, what Rode has done, from my perspective, is kind of unique and interesting They've really set the Rodecaster up, it looks like, to be a device that can be used by people who are not audio engineers. And so rather than have the typical parameters that you would have with a noise gate, they instead have voice settings. And on the voice settings, you get two options, or there are two different parameters. There's tone and strength. Tone refers to how deep your voice is. You can choose deep voice, medium voice, or high voice. And then, of course, strength refers to really how strong your voice is, how much it projects and your options there are soft, medium, or strong. And so those settings, the voice settings, are what influence how, for example, the noise gate responds to your voice. And I found so far in my tests, I haven't done extensive tests yet, but so far in my tests with the people I have recorded on this, including myself, the noise gate works surprisingly well. I, I would say much, much better than the Zoom F8's Automix feature does, and it doesn't seem to flutter a whole lot if you get those voice settings dialed in for the person's voice. I got the same impression. 
And at first, I thought the same thing that you said about the strength setting affecting the gate threshold. And when I was doing the actual testing, when I had more than one person here, which is, you know, this is something much better to, to try when you have more than one person. One of our guests was Rafael Pereira, and he's a sound engineer. And he thought, he didn't negate that assumption, but he thought that it was also somehow affecting the equalization. So he thought that with my voice and at least with the particular microphone that I was using, he thought that I was better off to have it in medium, even though I had this sort of impression that when you had it on strong, it made the threshold be perhaps a little bit higher. Did you get the impression that when you had it on strong, that the threshold went a little bit higher? That's a great question. That's, that's a level of testing I haven't done just yet. And the people that I recorded were basically family members. <laughs> so, so I haven't had a wide sample to work with yet. And in our case, we didn't go to strong simply because neither of the, you know, the people that I was recording really have super strong voices. And so that's part that I haven't tested yet. But that's an interesting thing, especially in regards to your comment about it affecting the equalization. I'm curious to hear more yes, about well, that. Yes, well, as you know, and um, our listeners may or may not know, there are a couple of things that are sort of related to equalization. I've decided so far not to use those features because at least with my voice and with this particular microphone and also with the, the other microphones that I had tested and the, the guests that I've had here in the studio, it seemed like they did more harm than good. The two features that I'm talking about are one, the big bottom, which is, I believe, a trademark from Aphex, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Do you think I'm pronouncing that correctly? Mm-hmm. I think so. And the other one is the Aural Exciter, A-U-R-A-L. Those two didn't seem that they were helpful, at least not with my voice and with my microphone. And I don't know if you have played at all with those settings yet. Yes, I actually have found the Aural Exciter, from my point of view, I, I have yet to find someone that I can test this with, but I think that's really going to be best for people that what, have what I would call a dark voice. Sometimes you'll encounter them. They have generally a very bassy voice, uh, some mid-range, but they tend to have very, very little on the higher frequency part of the spectrum. And so what can often happen for those people, especially if you put them on a broadcast style microphone, is their voice can sound very muffled. And I think what the oral exciter will do in that case, ideally, if my hypothesis holds true, is that they will sound a little crisper and your ability to hear and understand what they're saying will be a little bit better. That's just a hypothesis at this point. Okay, well, then let's go back to the automatic audio mixer function. Do you think that this is really the solution that we were looking for in order to solve the issue of bleed, spill, or crosstalk? You know, interestingly, I think it, it does a pretty decent job in the, again, the limited testing that I've done so far. Certainly, in my experience so far, better than I was experiencing with the Zoom F8N and the F8 now, because they also added the firmware with the uh, auto-mixing to the original F8. I, uh, so far, it seems to respond a little bit better. It seems to do a better job at managing, um, you know, attenuating a microphone that's not currently in use. And I think the overall results, and again, my limited testing so far, uh, would indicate that this is working more effectively than the Zoom F series. I would be curious to hear, um, it sounds like from your perspective, also better than the Audio-Technica 
as well. Definitely compared to a client of mine who is using it in Mexico, which happens to be located in an environment where there is much, much more reverb than the worst place that I have ever used or tested any of these devices. So in that place, although it does attenuate the microphone of the person who is not speaking currently, it does not do it 100%. And I believe that's what's happening with the noise gate built into the Rodecaster Pro is that it does attenuate it 100%. In other words, it literally mutes it, and that's why it's called a noise gate. I am not yet sure how suddenly it does it, but I think whatever the setting is, I think it's ideal for solving this issue. I agree. I, You know, it's interesting. I did uh, measure after I did a recording with the noise gate turned on for each of the channels. When I went into Adobe Audition to measure where the noise floor sat, after I loudness normalized the audio so that the dialogue sat at about minus 23 LUFS, what I measured the noise floor at was minus 78 dB in that particular recording. And that was interesting to me. I don't know if that is a reflection of the the parameters we used for the recording. So I believe the Rodecaster, in, and you can correct me on this, Alan, I believe it records at 48 kilohertz. Is it 16-bit or 24-bit? I think it's... It's 48 kilohertz, 24-bit, and it's not adjustable at all. It is 24. Okay. And that's one of the reasons why I have given it an award from the 48 kilohertz alliance because of the fact that it not only supports it, but it supports it exclusively. I'm not judging the 24-bit, although I love 24-bit. That's not part of the qualification for that award. So for, for whatever it's doing, I, I, I was concerned that what would happen with a noise gate, and the reason I brought this up was I was concerned that in some cases when you use a noise gate and you have it set too aggressively, sometimes what can happen is it sounds fairly unnatural because suddenly the person who was talking, everything just goes completely silent. And whatever the roadcaster is doing, in my experience so far, again, fairly limited testing, but it seems to sound quite natural. It's very good at opening when it should open and closing when it should close. And I'm not sure that it's attenuating 100%. It almost seems to me like it's it's kind of hitting a middle ground there where it's, it's, it's definitely more aggressive than we see on something like the Zoom F8n, which the problem on that case is that it's not attenuating enough. In the case of the Rodecaster, it, it appears to attenuate quite a bit more to the point where you're not getting a lot of that microphone bleed. But at the same time, it doesn't have this effect like suddenly the person disappeared. Exactly. Whatever the setting is, it seems ideal. I, I think I wouldn't have been able to do it better even if I had all the controls to do it. It just seems like it's really, really bulletproof the way it's designed. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, what's interesting to me is in my testing, <laughs> uh, the, uh, some of the other effects, like you were mentioning before, the Aphex, the Aural Exciter, and the Big Bottom, I am not quite as enthralled with those. I'm not as excited about those, but the noise gate seems to work surprisingly well. Well, I'm glad that you agree about the performance of the noise gate. I'm very, very glad to see how well this is working. So, do you have any other observations about the Rodecaster Pro? Well, yes. I, I think something that's interesting to me about the Rodecaster Pro is that it's very clear that they made this device to really cater to people who are enthusiastic about, you know, and committed to creating a podcast, but they themselves are not necessarily audio engineers or 
not really necessarily interested in learning all the kind of nuances and the ins and outs of audio engineering. And so they've really tried to make this device as easy as possible to use and at the same time to be able to produce very high quality audio. I think from a hardware perspective, I'm very, very impressed. I think the preamplifiers sound fantastic. I think that the quality of the build of the device itself, it seems to have an all-metal top with a kind of high-grade quality plastic back. The knobs and the faders all seem very solid and uh, very effective. I think it's nice for podcasters to be able to have eight different sound effects that they can play back during the course of their podcast recording because... The trick as a content producer is having enough time. And it's, and it's great that you have freedom in post to be able to fine-tune everything, but if you don't have to spend that time, you can produce more content. And that's what I think the Rodecaster Pro is very good. It takes us, I believe, a few steps closer to getting to that point. And, and the trickiest thing, for example, is if you're recording multiple people at the same time and you are getting that mic bleed, uh, you know, one person's talking and my, you know, when I'm talking, my voice is also leaking into your microphones and also the reflections off the walls are leaking into your microphones. That takes a lot of work in post to clean that up. That's a, that is a heavy job that takes a significant commitment. If you have an hour-long podcast, that is easily two or three hours of post if you're really good. And what the Roadcaster Pro does is potentially eliminate the need for at least some of that post-processing which is really, really nice. I agree with just about everything that you said. I would add a couple of things to it. I think that in addition to being it simple for non-audio engineers, I think that the other reason for having it designed the way it is is because it's sort of in the tradition of the broadcast consoles as opposed to the production consoles. Uh, and in some of my articles, I compared the Rodecaster Pro with the, the least expensive broadcast boards that I know about for radio, because the ones for television are easily five times more, and they really have very few differences between the two. But some of the differences are the fact that there's a very, very minimum number of direct controls because when you are producing live or live to drive, as we've discussed before, you can be completely intimidated by having way too many knobs and buttons in front of you, especially if you're trying to do both the host of the show and the operator of the audio mixer. And that's why I like the fact that certain things that really should only be adjusted before you start recording are in the menu. And everything that you should be touching during the live production are available in direct controls. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think there are only two really nitpick things that I would change in the hardware. And they are certainly not mm -hmm. deal breakers or anything. But one of them is, I find it ironic because even though it is obviously capable for live production, it's missing a key feature for live, live broadcast, which is in all of the other ones. And it ironically makes it, at least as it stands today, slightly incompatible with one of Rode's microphones. And that's the Rode Broadcaster, which I reviewed almost two years ago. And that one has a built-in tally light and in, uh, a tally light on a microphone would be connected in parallel with the on-air sign in a radio station or a TV station or a TV studio in order to alert everyone that the mics are open, be quiet. And the Rodecaster Pro does not have a relay connection for that, which is something that Rode's own Broadcaster Pro microphone needs in order for that tally light to work. Ah. So 
you know, that, that I find ironic since it's from from Rode and it's Rode's top microphone for broadcast. It's the most expensive one also, but there isn't currently any, any way of connecting it. And the only way that I visualize that it might become available in the future as an upgrade is perhaps if they design it so that a third-party relay box could connect to the USB port and have a pass-through for other use, and then that could have the relay connections. So that I find uh, a strange omission, but I really doubt that anyone would say, no, I'm not going to buy it because it doesn't have the relay connection for a, a tally light or an on-air light. And the other detail is, for the benefit of the listeners who may know, the Rodecaster Pro, in addition to being a mixer with built-in sound carts for playing either opens or closings or sound bites that you want to get the opinion of a co-host or something like that, it also has a built-in recorder, and we mentioned a little bit earlier that it records at 48 kilohertz, 24-bit, which I love both of those things. I love the fact that it uses the, our standard 48 kilohertz audio sampling, and that's why, I, as I announced in a prior episode, I created the 48 kilohertz alliance. The only detail that I would like to be changed there in hardware, because I know a lot of people have said in software they should add the capability of accessing that file via USB, and I suspect that they probably will in a firmware update do that. But as far as the hardware, and this device is much, much larger than any of the Zoom recorders that you and I have used, Curtis. Yes. And those use a full-size SD card, and I would have preferred that they used a full-size instead of the much tinier one. And I cannot imagine that it was a problem of real estate since even the H5 that I used to use used a full-sized one. And this is probably at least five times larger. Yes. And I'm so glad you said that. That's one thing that has left me scratching my head. Now, it could be that you know, I'm no spring chick. And so I wonder sometimes, is it because I'm old and I'm just used to the bigger <laughs> the bigger things? But to me, it, I agree. Because the micro SD cards, while it's very nice that they're small, the problem is that being so small, they're easy to lose. They seem a bit more fragile to me. And, and frankly, I don't have any readers that can read them. I know they're very accessible. You can buy a new card reader for $10. But, you know, as a filmmaker and a videographer, I already have three separate card readers that I have to manage. And especially if I'm going out on location, I don't want to have to take yet another card reader with me. And so it did. I found it to be a rather odd choice as well. I would have preferred regular size SD. And I agree as well, it would be very nice. And I hope that they do add it in a firmware update, the ability to read via USB to your computer from the card so that you wouldn't have to get a separate reader. Well, we both agree about that. And I have one more reason in addition to the fact that the really, really tiny ones are even easier to lose, but also they're even more difficult to label. Yeah, good point. Even the the larger ones are difficult to label, but the the really tiny ones that they have used, which I think is called a micro SD. Yes, micro SD. That's nearly impossible to label. Yes, agreed. And and I think that the only thing I can think that the product designers were considering was perhaps their thinking was, well, all these people that have Android phones with micro SD card slots on them could potentially load this directly into their phone and upload from there. Perhaps, and that's just maybe a bit of a stretch, but that's the only thing I could think of that would make a compelling case to go with micro SD as opposed to full size SD. The only other one that I thought of is maybe they know something that we don't and maybe the full-size ones are soon to be discontinued, no longer available. And that, in that case, they, they made a good choice, but I'm not aware of that happening. Do you Are you aware of that? 
No, no, and I hope that's <laughs> that not would, true. But <laughs> that would, for all the that reasons would mean we that, just discussed, that all the Zoom portable recorders would be very difficult to use. Yes, you'd have to have those adapters. I'm sure you've seen those uh, micro SD to SD adapters. They're not my favorite choice of of things to use. And in fact, that's how I have to download any recorded files from the Rodecaster at this point is using one of those adapters. I have seen those adapters and I've seen the similar ones for SIM cards for telephones and tablets that accept a card for data and uh, they're not generally considered very reliable. Uh, but I do love the, the Rodecaster Pro and the, the, those are the, the two nitpicking things that I would have changed in, in the hardware end. The software things, I think, probably will be addressed in the future. But as far as the, the physical hardware, those are the only two details. I agree. There, another thing, uh, just if I could underscore this, you brought up a very, very good point earlier that I completely and wholeheartedly agree with. And that is when you are live streaming, and actually, I think this even applies to, it should apply to production and a lot of the devices we use in the production world. The simpler the, the physical user interface, the better. And I think it was a very wise choice, as you said, for Rode to put a lot of the settings that you should be doing before you start recording in the menu and just leave the physical controls for the things that you have to do during the production or during the actual live streaming. So that that's important for that, but it's also very important when it comes to troubleshooting. If you are having some sort of issue during the production, you want to be able to solve that issue very, very quickly. And when you kind of hide the controls that should have been taken care of prior to, to going live, and you only have the controls out for the live production available via physical touch, that makes that troubleshooting process a lot easier. The second thing is, and this is perhaps something that could be fixed in firmware, coming from an audio engineering standpoint, it's a little bit frustrating to me that I don't know exactly what the meters mean. And I don't even actually honestly know for sure because I haven't seen the documentation and perhaps it is called out in documentation. But for example, when you're setting the input level, it ranges up to 55. And I, I think that's decibels of gain, but I'm not positive. And then on the meters, there are no actual markings to indicate where I'm at as uh, in terms of my uh, levels. I found that a little bit frustrating coming from an audio, you know, being a little bit more of an audio engineer than, than I think a lot of the people this device is actually aimed at. And I don't know if Rode will change that, but I did find myself a little bit frustrated by that. I was surprised that, but I wasn't really alarmed by it because I think it's still fulfilling what we need to accomplish as far as getting the the level set properly in, uh, before recording. And one of the things that I did notice when I was testing the things about the, the noise gate, as we discussed before, is that it's interesting, it, it was interesting for me to observe the fact that the, and for the listeners who may have not seen this before, the, I believe it's an LCD display, which is um, fortunately matte, so if, if you were to use it in bright sunlight, it would be still visible. The fact that the number one, that it has individual levels for each source plus for the master, which I love. Most audio mixers do not have that. Most audio mixers that I have seen only have a level meter for the master. The individual ones that are there are pre, at least they're pre-gate. In other words, so even if the gate is closed, mm -hmm. it still shows you the volume of that source. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a good yes. thing, but while I was figuring out exactly how the, the noise gate was working, I was actually looking at the VU meter on my favorite DAW, which is Hindenburg Journalist Pro, because I had it connected there. And that way I would not only be able to hear when the noise gate would close, but I would also be able to see when the noise gate was closing because it was down in the, in the zero or the bottom. So 
I don't know if I would change that, but it's just something that I observed when I was trying to understand exactly when the gate was opened and closed. And I also thought that maybe if I were in a permanent installation with a roadcaster, I might consider connecting one of those full-sized rack VU meters that, of course, would be connected to the analog output. And, of course, I would calibrate it to match so that it would be at the same level. It's not that would be a must or anything, but it's something that went through my mind, and I actually searched online and found some that were on special reduced price for about 60 or $70 and highly rated. So that's something that, that went through my mind, but I, uh, I wouldn't want it to have it be built in because then the, the whole thing would be bulkier, and this is semi-portable the way it is now, so I wouldn't want to make it larger or anything, but I just thought that as, a, as an option for a permanent installation. What do you think? I, I agree. That's that is an uh, that's an interesting way for the meters to work because it does appear to be post fader. That is to say, if you pull your fader back, the levels will go down. But it does appear to be pre gate, which is yeah, I noticed that as well. So I'm, it's interesting that you brought that up. Yes, they're definitely that way because I was testing by basically changing my mouth position with the microphone to see whether if I intentionally spoke off mic, how many degrees away I needed to be where the gate would close. And I was noticing that the VU meters built into the Rodecaster Pro were still illuminated even when the gate was off, but I was able to tell using the VU meter on Hindenburg Journalist Pro that the gate was closed. And that was, that was in addition to hearing it in my ears. Uh-huh. Very good. So that's the real, really the, the, the way that I noticed that they were pre-gate. But I really do love the Rodecaster Pro. And I remember that at the beginning when a lot of people were throwing virtual rocks at Rode because it, at the beginning they were not offering the capability of recording multi-track at all. And they were pointing to a Zoom model. I can't remember the model number now, but I, I included in an article. Uh, the, there's one that's exactly the same price as the Rodecaster Pro, US $599. And it does have multi-track capability, but it has, I would say, approximately double or triple the number of knobs and buttons on it. So as I wrote in the article, if someone were to ask me, would you recommend that Zoom model for live production, my response would be only if you have a dedicated operator. Yes, that's an interesting point. That goes back to your, you know, the same point. I believe it's the live track, um, and it's uh, the live track L12, I think. And that, that, it also is missing some of the other features. I don't believe it has a noise gate. It has a compressor, but not a noise gate. So you'd be missing out on that as well. I think really that device, and, and, and you'll see it in their marketing as well, that Zoom really meant for that to be something for bands that wanted to record at the rehearsals. Completely agreed. I think for musical production, more than for the target of the Rodecaster Pro, which is online radio. And and even I believe that the Rodecaster Pro would be ideal for a small television studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's one other, if, if I may, there's one other thought that came to me. It's not a, I wouldn't call it a con or an issue, but it is something to know. For those that are enthused and, and you know, looking at the Roadcaster Pro as a potential solution for their podcasting needs or online radio needs, one thing that could be cool in the future is some sort of accessory that would allow you to battery power it. Right now it is a, it's uh, powered via AC mains. It has an AC adapter that comes with it. It would be really neat if in some you know some circumstances I can imagine podcaster may not have access to AC power or maybe not reliable AC power and being able to have an accessory perhaps as some sort of battery that could power it would be a neat addition. It does have a brick, so it's an adapter. So it is DC in. So you could come up with your own solution. So for example, you could get a goal zero lithium ion battery pack and and find the right connectors and make it work. 
Okay, well, it's been great having you on again on Beyond Podcasting, and I believe our listeners can find you at learnlightandsound.com. Did I say that correctly? You did. Also on YouTube, Curtis Judd. Which is C-U-R-T-I-S-J-U-D-D, correct? Correct. Thanks so much, Alan. You're welcome. Beyondpodcasting.com I hope you enjoyed another episode of Beyond Podcasting. Remember, to find all past, present, and future episodes, or to subscribe free, read articles, get consulting, purchase advertising, and more, Beyond Podcasting is the place to go. If you search for Beyond Podcasting in any other place, remember we spell Beyond Podcasting all together without any space. Until next time, I'm Alan Tepper. Some of the manufacturers mentioned on the beyondpodcasting.com show have contacted Alan Tepper and or Technotour LLC to carry out consulting and or translations, localizations, or transcreations. Many of the manufacturers mentioned have sent Alan Tepper review units. Some links to third parties mentioned in the show may indirectly benefit Technotour LLC via affiliate programs. Alan Tepper's opinions are his own.